Great to see everybody. Thanks for being here at Discover or checking us out online. My name is Steve Murphy, one of the ministers here. We are in John chapter 3 today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. So do you guys know what's happening in 17 days? Spring. That's right. Spring is in 17 days. In 17 minutes, it's not going to be spring. In fact, we're here in, you know, snow and ice. Yes, it's Ohio. So uh, just enjoy it, lean into it, and have fun. But uh, I, I just, when I think about spring... There's something that I just, I just marvel at it. You know, like it's been dormant and dead for months and months and months and months. And then all of a sudden, like this new life begins. It fascinates me. And I just think, wow, God, how did you do that? That's amazing. How did you bring new life out of something that was dead, something that was dormant? And really, that's exactly what Jesus is going to talk about today. In John chapter 3, Jesus has this conversation about new life. So let's just jump right in. John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1 and read the first 17 verses. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You were Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let's pray. God, we want to understand what this means for us today. What this conversation 2,000 years ago in a small town means for us, for our lives, and for the lives of those around us. So help us to simply hear from you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So just some, some basic thoughts 
on this passage. There's so much here, and this could be books that you could write about this passage. So just some general stuff, but primarily this. Jesus makes an unbelievable statement. He says, you have to be born again to experience the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? And honestly, if we were there, you know what we would have said? What are you talking about? This doesn't make any sense. I mean, we have 2,000 years of history of the church unpacking this, so we go, oh, yeah, Nicodemus wasn't very bright, was he? He was very bright. He just didn't understand this yet. What does born again mean? Sometimes it's translated born from above, and that's a very accurate way to translate it. It's about a spiritual rebirth. That's what Jesus is talking about. Spiritual life. We recognize that when a baby is born, there is new physical life. And when a person is reborn, spiritually born, from above, then that's about spiritual life. And that's why as part of our we believe statement, we put this together based on what the Word of God says. This is about spiritual rebirth, new life. The forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit are granted by God's grace through faith in Jesus. That faith is obediently lived out through belief, confession, repentance, baptism, and following Jesus. Jesus talks about this idea of rebirth, new spiritual birth. And he says you have to be born of the water and the spirit. And there's some debate among theologians, among biblical scholars. What does that mean to be born of the water and the spirit? And some say, well, the water is talking about your physical birth. So you have to be born physically. And then the spirit is about your spiritual birth. And that's certainly one possible interpretation. And it's true. Obviously, if you're not born physically, it's hard for you to be born spiritually because that's how God put it together. But it seems possible as well that Jesus is saying, you know, in both physical birth and spiritual birth, there is water and there is spirit. Think about it. When the water is part of the physical birth, basically, when the water breaks, the birth is happening. There's no like, hey, we're going to just wait on this. You know, it's not quite the due date. No, the water is saying birth is happening right now. This is part of the process. And there's this breath, which is what spirit can be translated as in a general sense, that you have to have life in you. If a baby is born and it's not breathing, man, they are immediately on it, right? The baby has to be breathing. So there's water and life, breath, when a baby is physically born. And there's those two things also occur in our spiritual lives. There is water. This this can be associated with the idea of baptism. It's part of the process. It's not the process. It's not the only thing. But it's part of it. And we know this is true because Jesus said, when he was talking to his disciples, saying, I want you to go out. I want you to go out and I want you to make more of you. I want you to make more disciples. Go everywhere and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And he'll be with us till the very end of the age. So Jesus says this is part of it. When you're making disciples, this baptism thing is part of the process. When the first people gathered and they were hearing for the very first time 
uh, about this Jesus who was crucified but now had resurrected and now had gone to heaven. Peter's talking to them, and he tells them this, this great uh, story tying their Old Testament heritage all the way back through. And he's, he gives them the truth about Jesus, and they're, they're convicted, and they say, well, what should we do about it? We didn't know this about Jesus. We didn't know this about us. We didn't understand all of this. Now we do. What should we do? And Peter says you need to repent. You need to stop living the way you were, believing the things you were believing, and now you need to be baptized. Part of the process. In Romans chapter 6, there's this great picture of the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus being connected to baptism, the death and burial and resurrection. So it's pretty easy to understand that Jesus very well could have been talking about the water of baptism as part of this spiritual rebirth process. Again, not the only thing, but it sure seems like it could be part of it. At the same time, if you're a subscriber to that, you've got to understand that it's not about what you do and it's not about the water itself. It's all about God. And that's why the spirit has to be involved. You can jump in a baptistry and not give your life to Jesus, and there's no change that's taking place. And the Holy Spirit's not coming in, and he's not coming in to, to change things. The new life comes from the Holy Spirit. So we need to understand that this is about God and his involvement. And another way to maybe help us understand this a little better is when a, a baby is born, when you're talking about your birth date, you don't say, I born, right? I born July 15, you know? No, I was born July 15, okay? That's not a random date, by the way. Anyway, um, I was born July 15. It's something that happens to you. Now, you're certainly part of the process. You're part of that process, but you don't born anything. You are born. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, no, this is not anything that you did. We are saved by grace through faith. Not by works so that no one can boast. It's not about what you do. It's about what God is doing, has done, and will do. So Jesus says it has to happen. This birth is required for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. To be connected with God's kingdom, it requires a spiritual rebirth. And Jesus says a few times, I think three times, he says, very truly, as it's translated here in this version, the New International Version. Some versions will translate it, truly, truly. Others will say, verily, verily. The original word there is actually, amen. So Jesus says, amen, amen. Now, normally, when we think of amen, what do we think of? Oh, I can pay attention again. The prayer is ended. No, <laughs> it's how we ended our prayers, right? The reason you end your prayer with amen is because it says, so be it. That is true. I am with you on that, God. That's what amen at the end of your prayer means. So when Jesus says, amen, amen, he's saying, look, this is really, really true. So be it, so be it. Pay attention, pay attention. When he's talking about this idea of rebirth, he's saying this is really, really important. This is not only true, this is a double truth. So when Jesus talks about something, pay attention. But when he says, amen, amen, or very truly, or truly, truly, he's saying, pay attention. You know, your birth is a definite event. 
Like there's a birth certificate at my house that says when I was born, where I was born. And spiritually, we should be able to say, this is the day I gave my life to Christ. This is the day that I surrendered. This is the day that the Holy Spirit entered my life. This is the place. This is the day. This is the location. This is the time. And if you can't do that, you need to wrestle with it a little bit and say, did I actually at some point in my life make that commitment or did I just sort of nebulously believe that I was going to enter the kingdom? So I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I mean, Jesus says you have to be born again. And birth is a very definite event. So if you're not sure about that, you know, find somebody and talk about it and say, I I need to make sure that I've done this. Because if you haven't been born a baby Christian, you haven't been born. You have to be born again. And, And think of it this way, too. When my parents were born, that was not my birth. Yours either, right? I mean, that only makes sense physically, right? Duh. But what's true physically is true spiritually. You can't be born for somebody else. Your parents' spiritual rebirth is not your spiritual rebirth. Someone cannot believe in Jesus for you. You have to believe yourself. And one other thing related to this idea of being born. Obviously, if a child is born and the child doesn't grow, again, there is action that's taken. There's an issue here. We need to do something about it. I have a cousin who was born and and wasn't growing. and, And they tried various things. And at some point, they said, we need to do some intervention here. And they did. They did physical things to help him to grow. And I think that needs to happen spiritually. If someone is born again, but they're still an infant after a year or two or 10 or 30, there's a problem, right? We need to be growing. First Peter chapter 2 says, as, as newborn babies in Jesus crave spiritual milk. That makes sense. That nourishment is there for us. But again, if after a long period of time, you're still only on milk, there's a problem. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says you need to get to some solid food, people. You've been on milk forever. Grow up. One of the problems is that so many Christians are still, we're still milky. And the people around us really want to talk about meaty things. People that are non-followers of Jesus are interested in talking about significant spiritual things. That is an absolute truth. So we want to imitate Jesus and have conversations that have significant parts, that they are meaningful. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he recognizes Jesus as a teacher, but Jesus says, hey, there's more than this. There is something more you need to be aware of. And Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about being born again. He talks about the Holy Spirit being involved. Jesus talks about his own personal mission from God. He talks about the importance of believing and the reality of eternal life. 
Jesus is talking about significant things. And I have to ask myself, are those the kinds of conversations that I have with people on a consistent basis? In 2001, Archbishop Desmond Tutu was, had been diagnosed with cancer and was, they believed, coming to the end of his life. And they wanted to do one more interview with him, and, and he said, absolutely. And when they got together, he said, you know what? Let this final interview of mine not be about politics. Let it be about prayer and adoration, and faith, and hope, and forgiveness, the things that are really important in life. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's talking about significant things. And so we too should, at some point, begin to have significant spiritual conversations with people. So we want to do that. But we also need to do what Jesus did in that we meet people where they are. We need to meet people where they are. Did you notice that it says Nicodemus came to Jesus at night? There's a lot of speculation as to what that means. There's some great explanations. You can dig into that. The main point is this. Nicodemus did not come to Jesus in the typical, traditional place and time. People that want to have spiritual conversations are most often not going to come into a church building to have those if they're not followers of Jesus. They will not. To be honest, they're a little bit intimidated by you. They're intimidated by this place. In the book God Space, Doug Pollock says this, for many going to church is as scary as going to a hardcore biker bar might be to Christians. That's true. Isn't that amazing? That's why our, our vision statement says that we reach into the local and the global community. We reach into the community and develop authentic relationships with the people around us. We meet them where they are. And that takes time and effort and patience and prayer. And at the end of that first chapter of the book in uh, God's Space, they ask some questions. Here are just a few of them. Here's one. Do you seek to understand not yet Christians before seeking to be understood by them. Here's another one. Be honest. Do you like any people who are far from God? That's a pretty fair question. I like the follow-up question. Do any people who are far from God like you? There's another one. In your relationships with not yet Christians, do you typically offer kindness rather than rightness? One final question. Is your heart consistently broken and filled with compassion for the not yet Christians in your life? Those are some good questions we, we need to honestly wrestle with. We need to speak the truth in love because people want to have those kinds of conversations. Last year, Barna did a survey of over, survey of over 1,000 non-Christians, found that they are interested in significant spiritual conversations, and, quote, nearly all have a friend or family member who practices and prioritizes Christianity. So God has us already in the lives of these people. 
They want to talk about significant spiritual things. And guess what? They know somebody who follows Jesus. So great news, right? But nearly all have a friend or family member who practices and prioritizes Christianity. But these believers may not be their ideal conversation partners when it comes to faith. What? Here's why. Just a few things that came out of that survey is they were talking to people who want to have significant conversations, but please meet me where I am. Here's what they found. 15% of them want to get into a debate. Guess what that means? 85% do not. They are not interested in debating you. And if you're Normal way of talking to people about Jesus is attack debate mode. Well, you might find someone. Fifty percent said, please don't force me into a conclusion in this conversation today. I don't want you to come to me and try to fix everything. You know what I would like to do? I'd like to talk. I'd like to discuss. I'd like to honestly just dialogue about this. The highest percentage said this. Would you please listen to me without judging me? Please, would you just love me and listen to me? They found, though, that 66% of the people who are at least willing to talk to them They felt, whether it was true or not, they felt they were being judged. So if we're going to have these spiritual conversations, again, you have to meet people where they are and encounter them with truth, but also with love. And really, isn't that what God did for us? We need to imitate God's love. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still What's the word? Why we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's when Jesus died for us. Not when we were running up to God and saying, I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you. It was when we had our backs turned on God. That's when Jesus died for us. That's when God demonstrated his love for us. That's why our vision statement also says we are a church that loves people wherever they are. And we even say, especially in their messiness and brokenness. That's tough. (laughs) And further imitating God's heart, it also says we love them too much to let them stay there. It's an unconditional love, but it's not an unconditional contentment to let us or anyone else stay in our messy, broken place. There's too much love for that to happen. It's not an affirmation of every decision that you've ever made, and you're okay. It's saying, you know what? I love you right where you are. God loves you right where you are. But there's something even better. God wants people to experience true forgiveness and and life and freedom, and hope, and joy, and peace. God wants to change our hearts through a relationship with him 
and a relationship with other people. And God wants that so much that John says, God loved the world so much. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, Jesus focused on saving, not condemning. So as we imitate Jesus, let's focus more on listening, not debating. Non-believers need thoughtful dialogue before they're ready to make a decision. So as we engage in these messy spiritual conversations, we take heart in the fact that God is the one who brings change. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes hearts. And sometimes we might find that that change is happening in us as well. In fact, every time we'll find that. As God continues to develop and mold and grow us. I think sometimes we're afraid because we feel like we don't know enough. But it's not really so much about what you know. It's mostly about how much do you care? I mean, do you really love people enough to talk about significant things, even if you feel like you don't have all the answers? Because true love is going to motivate us to have significant conversations with people. And you know what? Here's some good news, people, for me too. I hope you know, as I've said many times, there is a mirror. This is not glass. This is a mirror as I'm speaking. The Holy Spirit can and will do this through you. He will. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Yes. Yes, the Holy Spirit absolutely can and will do that through us. And we might be thinking, well, I want to have spiritual conversations, but I honestly, I don't think I can. Well, listen. If God spoke and the world came into existence. If God was able to walk on water, if God turned water into wine, if God fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people with one person's lunch, if God raised dead people to life, both physically and spiritually, if God made a donkey talk, then absolutely, yes, God can use you to have significant conversations with people. And last week, Jordan encouraged us to think of two people, just two people, with whom we would be willing to have a conversation, to be who, with whom we'd be willing to just talk about significant things. So if you were here last week, this is a reminder, who are those two? And maybe this week you already began in that. You were praying about it and God opened the door and you had a conversation. Maybe you weren't here and this is new. But it's, it's here. Think of two people that God wants you to converse with about things 
that are more important than the snow and ice that's coming today. You can do this through God. God through you will do this. The greatest ability that you have for God is your availability. It's true. You have to believe it. I have to believe it. God makes the unbelievable believable. He takes away the un. God loved the world so much that he gave. You see, obtaining eternal life on our own isn't something that's possible. That is unbelievable. It's actually impossible. But God never expected us to do that. Look at the verbs in these verses. The verbs that are associated with God are these. God loves. God gives. God sends. God saves. And there's a verb that's our responsibility, and that is to believe. That's our responsibility, to believe it. Do you believe it? We're going to be uh, taking communion here in just a minute, and, and at the end, we'll be singing some. And one of the songs, we're going to sing these words. And let's believe what we're singing. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in love, your love, to those around me. It's possible. God can do it. Do you believe it?